this video it actually deals with a subject uh, that we often talk about and that's the impact of shunning it has basically a different twist to it and that is what is the perspective from the jehovah's witness who has gone on for decades and shunned their family what happens when they reach the point where their health starts to give out in fact they find themselves on their deathbed well, Gail is going to share with us what her experience was after decades of being shunned by her family. What happened when her father found himself in that situation? And it's interesting because it even has a twist to it. You're listening to The Critical Thought, where we challenge our listeners to use critical thinking when examining the teachings of Jehovah's Witnesses. What the topic that we're going to talk about today is something that I don't think I've actually heard online. And as Gail has, you know, told me that she hasn't seen anybody do a video on this topic either. So, you know, I'm just excited to be here to talk about it. Thank you. My father just died about six months ago and he had a horrible deathbed experience. And so for such a devout elder, for 60 years to have a crisis of faith on his deathbed, it was really, really hard to take. And, and it's never discussed. Your deathbed experience is never discussed in the hall. You never go and say, oh, you know, we planned our funeral for such and such. You don't discuss things like that. You don't discuss 20 years down the road because, well, Armageddon's coming. So you don't have to worry about that. You don't have to worry about your deathbed because, well, you know, Armageddon's coming soon around the corner. You never, ever put any thought into your deathbed experience. And every one of them are going to have one. And with my experience with my father, he went into the hospital and I didn't know that until I got the call from my mother. And so he wanted me to go visit. And I thought, this is the script. This is where I get called in. I'm allowed. They have labeled me an apostate years ago. But the, I'm, I've, I'm under the understanding that your deathbed or maybe a funeral, they're a little more lax with the rules. You're allowed to contact them. You're allowed to go to the funeral. You're allowed to express your condolences and then that's it. So when I went in to see dad, he was there, yes, uh, your family and I don't know if I'm gonna get out of the hospital and I wanted you to hear it from me because you know, your family. And he repeated that three or four times before he said, oh, I don't know what else to say now. And I thought, that's because your script ended. There's no more script. So I said, fine. And I left and I called my family in England, his sisters, and said, you know, dad's in the hospital and he doesn't expect to make it. And they said, okay. So they kept in touch because I wasn't allowed to keep in touch. So about a week and a half later, they called me and said, maybe you should go see your dad. And I because he's still in. And I said, oh, okay then. So I went in. And I saw a completely different man, no longer an elder, 
a man who realized he has devoted himself to an organization instead of his family. And at the end, he had no family around him. The organization doesn't show up on your doorstep. And he cried and he cried. After a couple of hours, I just had to go home because it was so heartbreaking to hear him. He, I'm sorry. I'm so sorry. I wish I had done things different. I have done nothing but lay here and live with my regrets. And it's all I can think about. And I said, okay, dad, like I'll come back tomorrow and I'll bring pictures because in the meantime, I have been shunned since I was 17 years old, kind of soft shunned over the years, but basically they've had nothing to do with me. I've gone on to have children, they're grown-ups now. I have four grandchildren that my parents have had no dealings with at all. So the next day when I went to see him, he was so sad and I started showing him pictures of his great-grandchildren. And he just started sobbing how much he missed out on his life, on my life, on his great-grandchildren, the only great-grandchildren he has. So let me ask you a question, Gail. Were you disfellowship? I was disfellowshipped when I was about 19. I had escaped my parents' house and the organization at 17. I left right after graduation into a full-time job. I had an apartment. I left the organization. I was disfellowshipped at about 19. By then though, I was married and had a baby. And then because I my, my husband had gone away to work, I went back and got myself reinstated. So because I thought that my parents would come back in my life now that there was a grandchild involved. So I got reinstated and um, and it's been that way ever since. I was about 21. So did anything really change when you were reinstated though? Not at all. Nothing changed. In fact, when I think about getting baptized at 12, I've known for so many, I knew my whole life that the organization was wrong. But when I was 12, I thought, well, maybe they'll love me more if I get baptized. And that didn't happen either. So I have kind of been in a reinstated state since then. Okay. Yeah, it's, it's, it's very sad that uh, that is what often happens when people get reinstated. I mean, Gail, you won't believe how many people have told us they went back thinking that they'll love me more, get reinstated, and they end up being treated about the same, if not worse. And so they they have to, it's, it's almost like you have to carry the scarlet letter around for the exactly. rest of your life. You are scarred with that scarlet letter. Absolutely. And that's how they treat you. And it's a culture, you know, and, and there's whispering going on. You can see it going on. There's oh, don't be talking to her, you know, like, Oh, you went over to her house. You know, there's so many things that, Oh, I could touch on. <laughs> Oh, yeah, absolutely. I, I remember when uh, Lady C and I went to our, our congregation that we used to be a part of, we were probably there less than two weeks, and people were already pointing out, Brother Lacey, he was disfellowshipped about 20 years ago. This yep. sister, you know, she, and, and, I, and, I'm, and we're sitting there, and when we got back to the house, you know, we was talking, 
Why do you have to tell us that? I mean, so these people have already been shaded and, 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 and put into a category for something that was 20. I mean, there was these were people who were out decades ago, but yet there were people in the congregation who felt, I want you to know that brother right there was his fellowship. You know, and it's like, well, that should be past, it's, you know, something in the past, but nah. Yeah. But they no, make it fresh. They keep it fresh. You're never, you're never forgiven. And my yeah. father, he was an elder, and he wore that so proudly. He was an elder to the nth degree. And if he was the one to set up an example in the congregation of how to disfellowship and shun your daughter, it was going to be his job to show the congregation how it was done. Mm -hmm. And he did it very well. And mom, the elderette, she just did what she was told. So you you talked about your dad. You talked about how, you know, he didn't get the chance to know you, his daughter. I mean, he, he shunned you, but then he had grandkids and great-grandkids. Yes. So now what's happening on the deathbed? Can we get back to that part of the story? Yes. Now, give well, us a little bit more information about that. Okay. So on that day that I showed him the pictures, he was so distraught and, and incoherently crying. So... After about a half an hour, I had to leave. I called the nursing station the next day just to check on him. And then the day after that, I, the nursing station, when I called, they said, oh, he's going home today. And it's like, oh, okay. So I called dad on his phone and I could tell he was sitting on his bed. He was going home. Mom would have been sitting right there. And I said, hi, dad, you're going home. And he said, yes. And I have made the decision that if you're not going to come back to the organization, then you're not welcome to come back to the family. And my first thought was, that's because there's no script for what happens when you go on your deathbed and you recover and go home. There's no script for that. It goes back to what you were before shunned and that's exactly what i was yeah it every, every everything just reset back that that's amazing i mean that is absolutely amazing now what did he tell your your, your children and your grandchildren when he was when he thought he was gonna pass what did he tell oh them? no he didn't they didn't he didn't have anything to do with them i was the only one that got the call and uh, so I was the only one that went to the hospital. And my daughters, they live away, but we were in touch throughout this whole process. And um, so, no, he was trying to abide by that script. It failed after a few days of laying there and just knowing. And then at the end, when he had to make the decision about whether he was going to welcome me back home, you know, um, he said, no, your mother has convinced me that you um, are being moved by Satan in my last days to take me away from the faith. And I said, Dad, that's not going to happen. And he said, I know, but we have to convince your mother of that. And I guess my mother wasn't convinced because I wasn't allowed to see him again. And then I got the message that he had passed about three months later i'm so sorry to hear that the passing of your father condolences yeah. to you and your family oh thank you yeah so like much. likewise yeah likewise yeah it means so much you know when people say that and it must have been a horrible three months for him 
And judging from what I saw at the hospital, I imagine he just went home and cried himself to death. That's sad. You know what? And you you had mentioned that on his deathbed, he was no longer an elder. So when he got sick. No, I meant I meant he stepped out of elder mode. Okay, okay. So he was still an elder? He was still an elder, but I meant he he lost the elder persona. Mm -hmm. Is what I meant when I said that. Okay. What about were any people coming from the Kingdom Hall to see him at the hospital? I know of one, um, the elder and his wife, the elder who gave the talk, they went to visit. You mean the elder who gave his funeral talk? Yes. Okay. So then, you know, just like we talk about this all the time about how when a Jehovah's Witness gets sick, because they are so focused on going out in the ministry, going out in field service, that when a person gets sick, no matter what your status is, they don't really go to to the hospital to see you. No, they, that's been my experience. And the other experience I've noticed is that if they do visit, it's on their way home from service. Yeah. That's when they visit. They can extend their hours, whatever it is they want to do, but they don't make a special trip to visit. They visit while they're out running errands or while they're, when they're at the end of service, oh, let's drop into the hospital and see so-and-so. That's not visiting. That's that's, that's just counting your time. Come on, <laughs> Come on now. Come on now. Elders they're probably always... keeping their time. They're probably keeping their time going while they're at the hospital. <laughs> well, that's it. That's exactly what they're doing. Especially if they hand over a leaflet at the nursing station. Oh, I didn't think about it like that. Yeah. Yeah. But I, I worked in the hospital. I see that happen. I saw it happen. You know? Wow. And then you had mentioned that you had gotten reinstated, right? So when you got reinstated, you just must have faded then? I did. Actually, um, let me see. I moved away for a little bit and then came back to the... So yeah, I basically just faded. And there was nothing they can do about that. Right. What, what was the conversation like when your mother discovered that you had faded and was no longer... Uh, participating as an active Jehovah's Witness? You know, back in my day, and I don't know how far back you guys go, but there have been ebbs and flows with regarding how they treated disfellowship people back then. Back then, I'd say I was in my mid-20s. I got a call from my father, and it was... um, they wanted to kind of reconnect with me and see how I was doing and to find out that that was an overall thing that the organization did was to contact all these disfellowship people who are family members, entice them back to the organization. And then when that didn't work with me after a couple of years, then the organization said, okay, we're shutting the door on that. I get a phone call again. We are not allowed to talk to you anymore. And I just said, okay, and um, till next time. And of course there was a next time because they tried again and they just kept trying and, you know, and, but actually it was about eight years ago when I started, I, I sent out a couple of messages about, um, that I had discovered about Beth Serum, the house that they had supposedly built for Moses and 
Job and Abraham and all those people from the Bible in California. And he said, oh, no, there, there's nothing about that. And I said, well, what about such and such? And he said, oh, no. And if you continue talking like that, we have to label you an apostate. And I said, but I'm not talking about anything bad. I'm not lying. I'm just relaying something that I heard in the news. You're not allowed to do that. And you are an apostate if you even relate news. And so another thing that I wanted to mention about the deathbed experience is that anybody who had gone to visit dad would never have been able to go back to the hall and say, guess what he did? Guess what he said? He's so regretful. He was calling down the organization. He was regretful. They would never go to the hall and be able to say that. that oh my goodness. Why. Is that what he was doing when he was talking to you? Yes. He was regretting, he was, the organization took his whole life away from him. He went hook, line and sinker. And it was the sorriest thing that he ever did. He was so sorry. And, and I said, dad, it, it's okay, you know? And he said, I ruined your life. It was at your expense that this happened. And I said, it's okay. I survived, I've gone on, I've had careers, I've, I've got grandchildren. And then once I mentioned grandchildren again, then the, he, he just opened up floodgates. So when the, the elder who gave the talk said in his talk that he had had a, a visit with dad, him and his wife, a shepherding visit and how dad was, you know, looking forward to the resurrection. And he made a mistake to come over to me after the talk to express his condolences. And I said, well, my visit with dad was a whole lot different than your visit with dad. Because by the time I got to visit him, he was full of regrets about this organization. And he knew on his deathbed that it was too late to make amends with me. Wow. And how, what did that brother say? He didn't say anything. And I said, what happened is my last words to my father were, was I love you. And he caught on that and went, oh, isn't that nice that you were able to say that to your father? It's amazing. That's amazing. Uh, let, let me ask you this. Cause I'm just, I just, just trying to make sure I got the timeline to make sure I understand the timeline. Um, <clears throat> so when you were about 19, you were just, okay, let me give you a timeline. I'm, I'm, I'm just, I'm 17. When I graduated, I escaped then. Um, and now I'm 61. Okay. So, 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 okay. So when you were about 17, you left the organization on your own yeah. and you end up getting this fellowship at about how old were you about? You got 19. So you're in the early 20s, early 20s then yeah, around 20. Yeah. Now, how long were you out before you were reinstated? About a year. Oh, wow. Yeah. So with a new that, baby. Newly married, a new baby, no help because my, my, well, actually I went through a divorce, which is fine. Um, but his parents were also Jehovah's Witnesses. And so when we got married, they came to the wedding, but my parents didn't. And then I, you know, had my, their grandchild, their granddaughter, and um, they didn't establish a relationship with her at all because- okay. Armageddon was coming and I wasn't 
showing signs that I was faithful. I was reinstated, but my family didn't think that I was living up to the standards of being reinstated. Exactly. In fact, we have had people tell us their family will say, I just knew you were just trying to get back in. <laughs> I knew exactly. you were trying to get back in. And that yeah. is exactly what dad said to me. Exactly. That's what they say. And I, so that's when I knew that nothing I did was ever going to be good enough for them, ever. It, it sounds to me like your mother was more into the Watchtower rules than your father because on his deathbed that he was trying to convince your mother yes. that being in your life was okay. Why do you think your mother was more into this religion and following the rigid rules than your dad? Well, they came into the religion in their early 20s, right after they were married and a young baby. And then I came along and she, she didn't agree with it at first from what my aunts tell me. And so she was kind of dragged in. But when she probably walked into that kingdom hall with two little babies, she was love bombed. You can just imagine how love bombed she was going into that hall with those little with little babies. But she did go kicking and screaming and she did have to give up a life. And she regretted giving that up. But she also was an elderette and she wore that very proudly and she never worked. She wanted to pioneer every few months and and, and that's what she wanted to do except she wore it with anger and bitterness. So she must have been a force to be reckoned with in the Kingdom Hall with other people then because she's, she was that elder ret that probably was always trying to uh, tell people what they're not doing right and how to get she their was. lives right. Okay. And then when I was a teenager, she would say, okay, go over and ask sister where her daughter is because she should be here at the meeting. And that's what mom did. Yeah, she was the one who was the um, sitting there with her judgmental stares looking and, oh, they shouldn't be doing that. And, oh, that baby was born too close to the wedding date at nine months. And she was one of those. Oh, yeah. Every Kingdom Hall has one or two and sometimes more. And she was one of them. Yeah, let me and ask you this, though. And I mean, she's still alive. She hasn't passed yet. I and mean, she could watch this video and she'll probably chuckle because that's exactly what she did. Yeah. Is, is it not amazing how that, and we saw this in a lot of the videos that the Watchtower has produced, how if you have a family, one person may begin to waver some, but it's important that the other person reinforce it. And that's kind of what makes this organization work. People get reinforcement. Uh, your mother sees your father is starting to get weak in his position. She builds him to come back, be strong, or vice versa. And we saw it in a lot of the videos and, and the, the dramas and so forth that they did for the summer conventions, where one person's about ready to give in, and then the other pulls them back. And that's kind of what keeps this thing going. Yes. So, basically, so basically, ever since you've been reinstated, and this is very important to understand, Ever since you have been reinstated, you have, for all practical purposes, been treated like a disfellowship person. Would that be a fair statement? Yeah. Oh, yes, I have. Yeah, by my parents. By my parents. Yeah. And especially lately since they labeled me an apostate. That, that's actually the magic word because it is. I do know that when I was still a Jehovah's Witness, the, the biggest thing that I remember asking people 
who didn't go to meetings anymore is, do you still believe this is the truth? Because the moment that person who is not, has not been disciplined by the organization says no, that they do not, that's as good as saying you're an apostate as well. And exactly. then at that point, that is how you know how to treat them. And you're told how to treat them. Yep. And if you don't do as you're told, then you're going to be shunned also. Yeah. And I think the point that you made about your father being an elder, that is very, very important because he knows we have to be an example for others to follow. And so many times you'll find, uh, and, and, it's, and it's really funny how it works. In some cases, you'll find elders' kids get away with murder. They can do almost anything because their daddy is an elder. And yeah. then the flip side of it is uh, you have young people whose parents, I mean, they, 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 they crack the whip every time there's an opportunity every time yeah mm -hmm. what with dad being an elder and being such um a, a working elder because that's what he did as his job like he loved it because he knew what the other kids were doing in the hall i was never allowed to have any friends and i could not figure out why i couldn't have any friends that were in the hall now i know why but because of that when I escaped at 17, I wasn't escaping anything but my parents. I didn't have any friends. I, I didn't have anyone to call. I didn't have anyone to call me and say, come back. No, it's only a misunderstanding with your parents. Don't. I had no one to call me because my father had not allowed us to have relationships with anybody because he knew what was going on in the congregation. Oh, so, so you had young people in the congregation that you could have hooked up with and been friends with, but your father kind of isolated you from them as well as people that were not yeah. Jehovah's Witnesses? Yeah, there were some that I could have, you know, okay. made friends with them and become friends with now, but no. Wow. Yeah, he knew what was going on. And so in his effort to, quote unquote, protect you, uh, you had literally no one to build any relationships with. And, and the kicker is, unfortunately, when you left, he just assumed that you were just as bad as they were. And that's what often happens. While kids whose parents are elders and so forth, their parents will assume if other kids are doing what's wrong, then I'm sure you're doing the same thing too. You know, that kind of crazy stuff. And 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 so you end up getting labeled. You know, you get that label right along with everybody else, which is which is so unfortunate. I mean, just so unfortunate. I, I think it's really bad because like when I look back on my life, I did reconnect with kids that I went to uh, junior high school with, and most of them are not Jehovah's Witnesses. So it was very, very wonderful that I was able to make those connections when I was young. But, you know, I didn't have a lot of young people in the congregations that we attended when I was growing up. And, you know, I grew up all over the United States. So I can only imagine what your life had to be like not connecting with anybody because, you know, that's you're like your lifeline. You're like, it we is. always say to people, hey, look, when you left the organization, did you reconnect with people you went to school with and things like that? And for you not to even have that, because you didn't have that either, did you? I did, actually. Um, you know, you did. Okay. My grade 11 and grade 12 were my best years. And I okay. still have people that with high school reunions that I've connected with. Yes, that's been lovely. Um, and that's been all my own doing. And any of that, none of that would be allowed. 
um, if I had still stayed in the organization, but I knew so early on the hypocrisy. I knew so early on. And um, like as early as grade four, I knew that I was going to have to leave this organization. And I told my dad, I said, I am, I'm not going to be a part of this anymore. And he did the standard script. As long as you live in this house, you are going to obey the rules and you will go whether you like it or not. And my grade four brain went, you mean I'm not always gonna to have to live here? And ever since that moment, I planned and I never ever saw my future past grade 12. Wow, wow. that's amazing. Yeah, that's it amazing. is, that's amazing. How, how did you plan your escape? Because you and I talked earlier, uh, you know, like a, about a week or so ago, and you told me about how you planned this when you were in school. You, I you didn't, know. I didn't so much make plans as I knew that I would have to be gone by after grade 12 in 1973, when you were told to sell everything and quit your jobs and a missionary until 1975. My parents did that. They left their employment. Um, we moved to a very small school, which meant I stayed at school for lunch for the first time. So in 1973, we started a new school because Back then, we were told in 1975, especially in September, Armageddon was going to come. So, but the school I went to, we stayed for lunch, which meant I didn't have to go home and deal with mom and dad. I had all my school kids around me at lunch, and I would see the grade 11 and grade 12 girls doing their typing and their business courses and shorthand in the hallways as practice. And I thought, that is how I'm going to escape. I just have to get to grade 11 and grade 12, which is exactly what I did. I got my business courses. I excelled. I worked part-time all through high school. Um, and in grade 12, I got a part-time job in an office, which was turning into a full-time job in July, right after graduation. And I set up secretly with the doctor that I was working with to get me this studio apartment that was coming available and I left my deposit and that's how I managed to to leave. Wow. That's amazing. That is amazing. Let, let me, let me ask you something though. Um, with your family, your children, have you explained or have, how much of this story about what has happened to you? Have you shared with your children and grandchildren? Well, with having both of my with having my parents and my in-laws in the organization, um, my oldest daughter was exposed to it a little more, um, but very softly. But I was more into, you're having Christmas and you're having birthdays and you're having Easter and you're having everything that I was not allowed to have. And so there was really no comparison to the life that I was allowed to give her as opposed to her leaving all of that and, and going with the grandparents. And then I had my second daughter when my oldest was five. And uh, there, that's when the marriage started to break down. There was turmoil. And um, so when the girls were 10 and five is when I divorced. And both my parents, my mother especially, 
wanted to grab onto those girls before anyone could touch them and get them into that hall. And it just, it just didn't happen. I just yeah. wasn't going to allow it. Yeah. That, Cause that was my question. And, and, and when I first heard your story, I was thinking, I said, I bet the parents, her parents, because that's what happens. They try to get the grandkids as quickly as they can and get them the great, listen to the great teacher book and all that kind of stuff. And so I was wondering how did, how did your parents deal with that? And so at that point, they simply just begin to have very little to do with their own grandkids and great grandkids? Well, the mistake they made with my children was the mistake they made with me. There was no love involved. It was, if you don't do this, you're going to die at Armageddon. And that is how they spoke to my children. Your mother's going to die at Armageddon. You're going to die. And you're, it's all your mother's fault because she's not letting you have any part of this organization. And it's all your And this is how my mother would speak to my daughters. Oh, my goodness. You got to be kidding. <laughs> my mother, my daughter, my oldest daughter was five when mom said that there's no Santa Claus. And, you know, so there was no warm feelings for my parents with my daughters. So there was really no suggestion that they wanted to have any part of it. Okay. Yeah. They, they, they thought they was almost crazy. Cause I mean, whenever you have grandkids and they're being told by the grandparents, you're going to die. That, that type of fear don't, doesn't work too well because they know all of their friends and schoolmates, none of that grandparents walking around talking about you going to die. <laughs> they're like, what? The? My grandparents yeah. crazy. <laughs> Yeah. Okay. That makes sense. Both, like both of my girls would just go to go her and go, oh, okay, Nana. You know. Exactly. Your mother they, was they, really they, your mother was really fanatical. You know, she, she was, was the fanatic. She was the fanatical Jehovah's Witness. And oh my god. Well, it's that, interesting how you said that she was the one that was kicking and screaming, becoming a Jehovah's Witness. Yes. And this was what she bought into. And everybody else had better obey the rules. And she was the one who reported everybody if they didn't. Wow. Yeah, the grandkids don't the, the grandkids weren't gonna fall for that. They 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 no, they, 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 they literally they, saw they they saw right they saw right through that and they realized, you know, grandma, she got her ways. And so basically what happens is it sounds as if they may have loved them greatly, but they dismissed their viewpoints and views. It didn't it didn't work. Yeah, because you allowed them to have other, you know, relationships with um, normal relationships that we couldn't have as kids growing up. And they're looking at their friends interact with their parents and grandparents, and they do not see that happening in their lives. And so they realize that there is something wrong here. And yes. kids will be the first to tell you that this doesn't make any sense. There's something wrong. And they're seeing the differences between their their friends and what's happening in their life. You yes, know? exactly. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, Gail, your story is so amazing because for people who are not Jehovah's Witnesses who will get to hear this video, because most people have, you know, witnesses, we, nothing really surprises us. But but it's just amazing that people literally will get to hear a story, a personal life story of someone who left this organization, their parents dogged them. Then they got sick. Then they were on their deathbed. They tried to clean it up. 
And the moment the doctor says, oh, I think we're gonna, you're going to be okay, they revert right back to doing exactly what they were doing before. It's almost like clockwork. The indoctrination of this organization is so, it's just so in-depth, and it is so solid in people's lives that people, they just know what to do. For just, as, as one person told me, for a moment, we thought we had a breakthrough when they begin to show human feeling, fellow feeling. But man, give them a few minutes, they put, they get themselves together, and they're back at it again, back at it again. It's amazing. Right. And what made, I'm sure, Dad so sad at the end is they were all promised they weren't going to have a deathbed. Armageddon's coming. Back when I was a baby, this is what we learned. Nobody was going to have a deathbed especially since um, the 1914 generation, they're not going to pass. We are not going to have deathbed experiences. That's and, true. And here they are. They are having deathbed experiences. And, you know, they, they kind of gloss on, but you're going to have a resurrection. Well, you know, that doesn't take away the fact that you gave up your whole life in dedication to this organization that promised you that you were not going to have a deathbed experience. And dad did, and it was horrible. And not only that, but it lasted so long. You know, these days you go to the hospital, they send you home with home care. If, if he had stayed in the hospital, I could have visited because they can't stop you from visiting them in the hospital. Even mom couldn't have stopped that. But she could stop from visiting at home. So once he went home, the rules all changed. Wow. So what would be your um, takeaway to our listening audience? What, what kind of advice would you give to them who have a parent in the same situation that you had? Well, my advice to... Um, Jehovah's Witnesses who are getting older to um, their children who may be still in the organization. No matter what the organization tells you, you are going to have a deathbed and your shunning of your family was all for nothing. When dad knew that he was going to pass his whole life was, what was all that for? I missed out on my daughter, my grandchildren, and my great-grandchildren. For what? So my advice is make your amends with your shunned family members. Talk to them and make your amends before you get on that deathbed. Because, you know, it's one thing to have a very quick death but your deathbed might last a long time. And dad's lasted three months where he just had to think about all that he lost. And that is what's going to happen to these, to your organization members. They are going to, not, or Armageddon is not coming to save them from a deathbed experience. Yeah. That that, that's is what so true. Want your yeah. members your listeners to get. Yeah. Especially when you consider that they have been waiting this 
new system for almost 150 years. At some point, you realize uh, this is not going to show up because there's so. I mean, just think about the number of witnesses who have come and gone, waiting for this same promise that the exactly. watchdog, that the watch, this 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 corporation out of the United States gave us. You know, it's amazing. It's just simply amazing. Right. Well, Gail, we want to thank you so much for coming on the program to share your experience because I think that a lot of people have had this experience and they haven't shared it, or if they have, we just haven't heard it. But I think it is something that people need to really think about. Yes, and I think you haven't heard it because they're not allowed to talk about it. That's exactly They're not right. allowed to talk about, you know, oh, he's looking forward to the resurrection. That's all they're allowed to say. They would not be allowed to talk about how dad cried for two weeks, you know? And so hug your loved ones, no matter what the organization says, because your death will come quickly, quicker than you think. And you will be very lonely at the end if you had not if you have not made amends with your shunned members of your family. Yeah, you make a good point. And we can only wonder how many uh, older witnesses who, you know, at the end of their life, quietly, they may not say anything out loud, but they quietly think back and they reflect back on that. And Abs it's, it's probably a lot. It's probably a lot. It's probably a lot. There yeah. is. And I'm interested to hear um, what your readers will be saying about this, because um, like we've said, nobody has talked about it. So this is the first time they're going to be saying, oh, yeah. Oh, my God. I never thought about that. Yeah, because I, 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 I've heard of people. I've heard of people uh, changing their viewpoints because their their, their end of their life is is near. But this had a twist on it because he got better, then he went back to the same attitude. Like, oh my goodness! So, exactly. yeah, that's a terrible and, thing. And, I mean, right. it's amazing to have watched this thing snap back in the. It, it literally just snapped right back into place, and yes. so that is that. That's that. That, like I said, this these are the types of things that help us to better understand that yes, Jehovah's Witnesses are indeed a high control group. There's no question about that. There's no question about that. That's yeah. true. Well, this has been Lady C. And this has been JT. And we'll see you all on the next episode. Thanks a lot, Gail. You're welcome. Thank you. This program was sponsored by Critical Thinkers.